Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Winter and Spring Edition. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's my privilege to be with you today. Thanks for taking time to join me. It's Wednesday, March 9th. Today we continue in our study of the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about how believers must be careful to honor God in all things. The text is going to be Daniel chapter 4, verses 27 to 37, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the amazing privilege we have to study your word. Thanks for all that have come to listen and watch today. We are just blessed to be with you. We want to learn from you, so open our hearts and minds to receive your truths today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. You know, pride is a really ugly word. We may even characterize ourselves as self-confident to avoid thinking of ourselves as being prideful. Many of us live life as though we are the ones in control of what happens. Eventually, something will happen in life that causes us to wonder if we're really in charge. It is in those moments that we discover who God is and what our role is in his creation. That is, if we look. Here's our opening question today. What images come to mind when you hear the word pride? I have a few images that come to mind when I think of pride. They include a sense of one's own proper dignity or value. In other words, self-respect. Another image I have is pleasure or satisfaction taken in an achievement, possession, or an association. You know, kind of like parental pride. Yet another image that I have is proper respect for oneself, a sense of one's own dignity or worth. Another image is arrogant or disdainful conduct or treatment. The biblical word would be haughtiness. And another is a person or thing in which pride is taken. And lastly, to take or experience pride in something. Be proud of it. For instance, someone might say, I pride myself on being a good judge of character, but pride goes before the fall, and I'm not a good judge of my own character, so I'm often wrong without even knowing it. Here's our second question. What makes being called prideful hard to swallow? I think generally most of us don't feel like we're prideful in a negative way. So if we're called it, we can't believe it. And depending on the person, it can feel hurtful and or even motivate us toward being angry about it. How dare someone call us prideful? All right, let's get to exploring the text. In this study, we're going to learn what it took for Nebuchadnezzar to swallow his pride and acknowledge, honor, and glorify the one true God. Here's a brief outline of what we're going to be talking about today. First, in Daniel 4, verses 27 to 30, this is called Pride Declared. Then we're going to look at verses 31 to 33, and I've called this one Reality Defined. And lastly, in verses 34 to 37, the title is Honor Given. So open up your Bible or Bible app to Daniel 4, verses 28 to 30, our first section, 27 to 30, excuse me, and let's get to study in this first section, Pride Declared. First, let me give you some background. In Daniel 4, verses 4 through 7, King Nebuchadnezzar related how he had a dream and it really frightened him, how none of his wise men had been able to interpret it. Then in verses 8 and 9, he asked Daniel to help him understand the dream. In verses 10 through 12, it talks about how in his dream, he saw a magnificent tree that reached to the sky and brought blessing to many creatures. And in verses 13 to 14, 
he heard a voice calling for the tree to be cut down. And in verse 15, we see that only a stump with iron and bronze bands around it remained. And in verses 16 to 18, it says the object of the dream would experience great humiliation until he recognized God's supremacy. Next, in verses 19 to 26, we see about Daniel's interpretation of the king's dream. We see that Nebuchadnezzar had become exceedingly great, verse 22. However, he would experience great humiliation until he recognized God's sovereignty, verses 23 to 25. Daniel stressed that the dream contained the possibility of the king's restoration, and he encouraged him to pursue righteousness, verses 26 and 27. So now let's read the text. Our first section here, verses 27 to 30. Here they go. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. All right, here's our first question based on this passage. In verse 27, Daniel pleaded with the king to stop sinning against God and do what is right. Specifically, what did the king need to do and would all be right after he did it? First, the king needed to repent of his sin, the sin of pride. Interesting that the middle letter in the word pride is I. He also needed to take care of and be merciful to the poor. This was a requirement of God's law, Exodus 23, verses 6 to 11, Deuteronomy 15, verses 10 and 11, as well as Babylon's requirement. But Daniel didn't say it was for sure that the king would continue to prosper. Daniel recognized that God was free to act or not act because he is a merciful God. He might take pity on the condemned king. Next question. In verse 28, it says, but all these things did happen. What are all these things that you just read about? And what was God's goal? Here's a hint for you. Go back to verses 25 and 26. My answer is this. First of all, Look at verses 25 and 26. They say, You will be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you've learned that heaven rules. So there in those verses, you can see what all these things are. Now, God's goal here was proper recognition of God's rule. It was true then. It's still true today. Here's our third question based on this passage. Significant accomplishments or achievements in our lives may tempt us to become proud. How can a person avoid the trappings of his or her own success? Well, in a nutshell, by being humble. I know there's that song out there that says, Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. I get that. But there are trappings 
that can result from success or achievement that can open the door to pride, such as timidity, laziness, complacency, distraction, doubt, disconnection, dishonesty, and ingratitude. The key, though, is remaining grounded in the Word of God and to understand the perspective of your success. What's that, you say? It's to remember that God has given us gifts and talents, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, and that we should be grateful rather than proud. Here's another question. Does a person have to be successful to fall into the trappings of pride? Absolutely not. Pride can take many forms, though success is probably the most common. Here are two examples I've come up with for you. First, ignoring negative feedback. Feedback is like a battery. It has a positive side and a negative side, and you need both sides in order for it to be effective. When you stop listening to negative feedback, you can end up deluding yourself into thinking you're always doing things right 100% of the time with no room for improvement. The other thing is making false promises. When your ego is inflated, your words can end up being all hype and no substance. When you promise people something you know is impossible, while it might sound good in the short term, will only come back to bite you in the end. Whatever we put ourselves at the center of can become a source of pride. When we put ourselves there, we can't experience the life we're meant to have. Pride is a trap. It keeps you rooted in your failures and separates you from real love. It's a kind of idolatry, the idea that everything is about you. We're told by the world that it's the way we find happiness and meaning. But the world is wrong. Question number five. In verse 30, the king appears to be very pleased with himself. Why and what warning is there for us today? The king saw the splendor of Babylon as a direct reflection of his own glory and power and not as a gift from the Most High God. The king also suggested the purpose for Babylon's greatness was for his own majesty. Wrong perspective there, folks. Both the Old and New Testament remind us that our boasting should be in God, not in of ourselves. Here's some scriptures for you. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 and 1 Corinthians 1, 31. We dare not take credit for what God has done. Amen to that. The next point in the outline is reality defined. Let's read Daniel 4, verses 31 through 33. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice called down from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them anyone he chooses. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Here's our first question. In verse 31, how quickly did God's judgment come? Where did the voice that spoke come from? And what was the message? God's judgment came while the words were still in the king's mouth. That's incredibly fast. The suddenness of the judgment stresses God's displeasure at Nebuchadnezzar's pride. It was as if the sound of Nebuchadnezzar's words still lingered in the air 
scarcely having departed his lips. The words were called down from heaven, and they emphasized the source of the message. The messenger knew him by name, King Nebuchadnezzar. The words, this message is for you, is spoken to carry the force of a decree. The voice announced judgment, and that judgment was the king would no longer have a kingdom. Number two, question. Explain verse 32. Nebuchadnezzar heard the voice announce, you will be driven from human society. The word translated driven is a strong word that occurs four times in chapter 4, verses 25, 32, 33, and in chapter 5, verse 21, and always references Nebuchadnezzar. God would humble Nebuchadnezzar by sending him to live with wild beasts in the field. In Psalm 8, 7, David proclaimed that God had given humanity dominion over the beasts of the field. Now, God would send the most powerful man on earth to live among the animals virtually as one of them. The accompanying judgment, you will live in the fields with wild animals and you'll eat grass like a cow, it further stresses Nebuchadnezzar's identity with the animals. He would live as one of them, not merely alongside them. It's ironic that the king who took Israel into exile for 70 years experienced his own exile for seven periods of time. Most Bible scholars understand this time reference as seven years, though we can't be for certain. Also in this verse, we see that God held out hope for Nebuchadnezzar's restoration. The king needed to know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and that Nebuchadnezzar ruled only by God's blessing. The angelic messenger also stressed God's prerogative to grant sovereignty over kingdoms to whom he will. In other words, nothing in Nebuchadnezzar made him worthy of kingship. Nebuchadnezzar could experience restoration to his throne, but first he would need to humble himself. God's control over creation includes the rise and fall of nations. Rulers of the earth rule because of the power God gives them. John 19, 11, Romans 13, 1 through 7. God expects those who hold leadership positions to be good stewards of that leadership and to lead others well. Question three, what happened to the king in verse 33? The words in the same hour stress the immediacy of God's judgment, just as the words in verse 31 did. The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar in every detail. As God had decreed the king was driven from among men, he became a virtual member of the animal kingdom, and also the king ate grass like cattle. Bible scholars have compared Nebuchadnezzar's affliction with various mental disorders, such as zoanthropy, in which people consider themselves animals. But whatever the nature of Nebuchadnezzar's affliction, it came directly from God. Question four, also in verse 33, what happened to the king's appearance? Verse 33 says that Nebuchadnezzar's body was drenched with the dew of heaven. This occurred from the king's spending the night sleeping on the ground. He no longer enjoyed the luxury of Babylon's palace, but made his bed wherever he could outside. The text also says Nebuchadnezzar's hair grew as long as eagle's feathers. Bible scholars don't agree exactly what this means. Perhaps it's describing the matting of Nebuchadnezzar's thick hair growth that resembled feathers, so that he looked more like an animal than human. Also, his nails grew like bird's claws. Question five. 
How is God's grace seen in the disciplining of Nebuchadnezzar? God's discipline is also his grace. When Nebuchadnezzar's reckoning came, it led him to repent. The dew of heaven that soaked Nebuchadnezzar was not judgment, but provision. Remember how the manna came with the dew for the Israelites during their time of humbling? Exodus 16, verses 13 and 14. God gave him food and shelter, albeit in its rawest form, but still it was God's provision. That completes our second section. Let's turn our attention now to the last part of our outline, which is titled Honor Given, and we'll read verses 34 to 37. After the time had passed, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, What do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom, with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the King of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. That's an awesome piece of scripture right there. First question. In verse 34, how much time had passed and what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? In the phrase, after this time had passed, it refers to the end of that seven-year period of Nebuchadnezzar's insanity. As we just studied in verses 29 to 33, they had recorded the account of Nebuchadnezzar's judgment in narration form. Now the king spoke it for himself. He testified, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. The king now recognized his place. The king of heaven had made him king, but God was able to humble him as well. The king's looking to heaven likely indicated recognition of God's sovereignty. I believe it's similar to what we do today as well. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, My sanity returned. After that, the king said, I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. Before God humbled Nebuchadnezzar, he thought of himself as worthy of glory and honor. Now he recognized that glory belonged only to the Lord. God is eternal. Nebuchadnezzar was temporary. Question two. At the end of verse 34, the king made two statements about God's rule. What did those statements say? Verse 34 says his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. A long reigning king might live to rule two generations, maybe three, but God ruled every generation. No one could compare to the vastness of his power and no one could compare with the length of his reign. Amen. Question three. The king continues to speak in verse 35. What is he saying about God's sovereignty? In that verse, Nebuchadnezzar declares all the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. That indicates he recognized his own smallness in comparison to God's greatness. Furthermore, he says about God, he does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. There was a time when Nebuchadnezzar did as he pleased. God's power extended to both the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. That is, God ruled the universe, not merely a kingdom on earth. The expression, the angels of heaven, 
likely refers to God's angels. This would make sense in view of the presence of an angelic voice in the context. When the king declared of God, no one can stop him. He spoke from personal experience. Nebuchadnezzar thought he had limitless power, but God had humbled him. No one dare challenge the Lord by asking him, What have you done? God could do as he pleased. Babylon's king had learned this lesson the hard way. Sure did. Question 4. In verse 36, it says again that the king's sanity returned, but something else was also restored. What was it? In addition to the king's sanity, his honor and glory and kingdom were also restored. This reflected the king's humbler understanding of himself. He recognized his honor, glory, and kingdom were only his because God gave them to him. We don't know exactly how Nebuchadnezzar reclaimed his throne. Perhaps his son had ruled in his place during those seven years. Nebuchadnezzar's affirmation, my advisors and nobles sought me out, indicates they recognized he was ready to rule as king again. His reason was restored, and the king had no doubt cleaned up his appearance. He further affirmed that he was restored as head of my kingdom and even greater honor than before. This phrase of Nebuchadnezzar's reign would feature the king's new perspective. As he grew in power, he recognized God's role in making him who he was. That's great insight for us today as well, my friends. And our last question for this study, question five. In verse 37, what are King Nebuchadnezzar's final thoughts? Daniel 4 began with Nebuchadnezzar's words of praise, verses 1 through 3, and ended with his words of praise. Babylon's king ruled the world, yet now he recognized he must praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. That king had given Babylon's king an empire, but Nebuchadnezzar stood to lose it again if he did not remember the true source of his greatness. The words praise and glorify and honor are the same words Nebuchadnezzar uttered in verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar testified of God that all his works are right and his ways are just. The Lord was well able to point rulers to the paths of truth and justice. These paths reflected God's holy character in contrast to human kings who were often hungry for power. And finally, Nebuchadnezzar affirmed of God, he is able to humble the proud. The king, of course, knew this firsthand. He had experienced the loss of his sanity and his kingdom for seven years until he repented of his prideful ways. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of our study today. To recap, in today's study, we found that God humbled Nebuchadnezzar and taught him the meaning of humility. God provided the king a powerful witness to his greatness, and Nebuchadnezzar gained a new perspective on what God had given him. God is worthy of all honor and praise. Amen to that. And if we experience times of exaltation in our lives, we've got to remember the Lord is the one who brought that blessing. Amen once again. Next week, we're going to continue with Daniel chapter 6, this time verses 20 to 24. And we're going to talk about how believers can trust God in all circumstances. Now, between now and then, I would encourage you to read chapter 5 and chapter 6 in Daniel verses 1 to 19 as a little bit of background. I'll talk about that more next week with you. Until then, thanks for joining me today. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. 
To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.